welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. There are times when we uh, get together, when things just kind of like come together, and uh, I think we, we would, part of my job, part of our job as pastors is to interpret, I think sometimes, and be uh, decoders. And those two songs that we sang there, um, Be Thou My Vision, and the, the chorus of that where it says, Be the one thing that we need, um, and then just the simple, Oh, how I need you. Uh, if you are new to Awaken, um, we just came off a series uh, called Wells and Fences, and we've, worked, we've been talking about what kind of community we, do we really want to be. And um, I think what we experience together in those moments uh, is the essence of that, that if there's anything that we hold on to, it's this Jesus. And, um, and tenaciously keeping that at the center of who we are and what we're about. And just desperately saying, God, we need you. And finding God in the midst of that, wherever we find ourselves. Um, I know that when we gather on Sundays, there are so many stories present. And so many different voices and so many different um, places that you come from. And so uh, we just trust that when we get together and that we do this on Sunday mornings, um, our hope is to set the table as best we can for us to have an encounter with the living God. Um, So if you've never had that before, I wonder if that's what it feels like. Um, So we're in this this series right now called Rhythm, and uh, we've been looking at this definition or using this definition. Uh, It's a, a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. By the way, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 if you want to turn there. Uh, A regular or repeated pattern or movement of sound. And we've been asking these questions about, um, or this series is really about, the regular and repeated patterns of this community. So if a church gathers and we ask the question, what does a church do? What are the things that they should be doing? What are the patterns or the, the, the habits that they should be cultivating or are cultivating? And we want to be intentional about um, what, finding out what those are, but then the devotion of our shared resources. So when we come together as a community, there are things that we can spend our time, money, energy, and effort on, and there are things that we won't spend our time, money, and energy, and effort on. And so we want to ask that question of what are the regular repeated patterns of this community so that we can take the shared resources that we have and move them towards something that we collectively think is worth it. So we looked in the first week... Um, at Acts chapter 2 and the story of the new church, this new group of people who are defined by Jesus after the resurrection of Jesus, if before it was Israel, now it's this Jesus community, and we ask, do we see anything that's happening in their lives or that they do regularly or repeatedly? And we found that they loved one another, they loved the world, and they gathered. And so we've been using these three ideas of loving one another, loving the world, and gathering or celebrating as kind of our markers or, or um, maybe waypoints, if you will, on sort of navigating our future together. And we've been using these words of uh, in, up, and, or in, out, and up to sort of talk about loving one another, loving the world, and then gathering. So in, out, and up. And as uh, uh, this is a series that's really about, um, you've sort of walked into a, a, a living room, so to speak. So if you're new, welcome. You just get to jump right in. But this is a series for, for this church and for this community and asking these questions about what kind of church do we want to be. So we've been using these, these phrases or these ideas, these uh, life groups, missional communities, and Sundays at Awaken to talk about in, out, and up. And so um, week two, last week, we talked about the importance of in. 
And we talked about the importance of, uh, as Christians who follow Jesus, there is a context in which everything is on the table. Outside of that context, our one opinion we're afforded is to love, love. That's it. But inside of this context where uh, Paul re- or ex- it says exhort, admonish, teach, rebuke, challenge, encourage one another, inside of this context, inside of the church, there is a place where it's all on the table, and we call them life groups. We submit ourselves to each other, or we submit ourselves and our choices and our lives to this example set by Jesus, and then we invite others in to help us live that out. So we call those life groups. They are six to ten adults who meet monthly for three things, prayer, study, and sharing. Uh, and it's in these groups that we hope that people, uh, that you will invite people inside of in and that you will be invited inside of in to this place in this context where it's all on the table and where we're given the keys and we give the keys to our hearts and our lives to others that we trust. Now, um, I've drilled down last week the- like really deep on the theology of this and why this is important biblically. And uh, I don't, maybe you get a little overwhelmed when I do that. Sometimes uh, I get reports that you do. <laughs> so, This is what we've written on the website, and I want to just kind of bring it back to, like, what are life groups really about? And so uh, if last week was the real theological stuff, here's what we've written. Your life group is a place where true community happens. It's a lot like family. These are people who know what pictures are on your fridge. They're friends who know you've had a a rough day and anonymously have pizza delivered to your house. I think there's one more slide there. Um, They are people that know your passions and quirks and still love you, and they're the people that journey with you side by side as a follower of Jesus, right? So um, on the one hand, very, very deep theological idea, but on the other hand, somewhat simple. Um, a question that came up last week was, um, what happens when you've offered yourself in community and gotten burned? So just maybe by show of hands, if you've ever offered yourself in a, in a community or in a relationship and gotten burned. Anybody out there? Yeah, lots of us. What happens when you do that? I think this, this question for me highlights a couple of important aspects, and I want to touch on this, and then we'll jump into today. Um, one, it highlights the importance of knowing how to hold someone and something in confidence, right? Um, the importance of holding someone and something in confidence. There are things that will be shared in your life groups. I'm hoping, we're praying, that we are asking you, as people who are a part of these groups, to hold in confidence with the people that share them. And to hold those people, and that is a, that is a very uh, hard and challenging and beautiful task that we've been asked to do as people who follow Jesus, to hold one another and to hold each other and the things that are shared uh, in confidence. So it highlights that, the importance of that, but it also highlights, I think, the importance of not giving up. Um, I want to read this quote to you, and it's a bit long, but I want to read it in its entirety because for me, this gets at um, this idea better than anything I've ever found. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love 
is hell. Many of us have offered ourselves and we've gotten burned. And I've been there. Um, if we could line up the stories and tell them, it would, we would take all day long. But I want to I remind you the hard work of not giving up. I want to re- invite you into the hard work of not giving up. If that's where you've come from or that's where you've been, um, there are a couple of options. You can lock up your heart safe and so it doesn't get hurt or broken again. And I think what Lewis is getting at is it won't get broken again, but it will become unbreakable. And that, I don't think, is where any of us want to go or live. And so I want to invite you. And I can't force you. None of us can force each other, but it's an invitation to offer ourselves to one another. Because this, it's, it's, it's this nexus in that, those moments that we find out what it means to be human, because that is what we're created for. That moment where we are known and where we know another human being, that's what God made us for. That's the beauty of sex. That's the beauty of intimacy. That's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of friendship, because it ties into who we're actually created to be. So we want to make space for that, and we know it's hard work, but uh, we're going we're to continue to press into that. So that was last week. This week is all about out. Acts chapter... Um, Two is about loving the world. Acts chapter one, we find, um, is if there's any more lights at all, Kyle, in the house lights or spots, if you could give me just a hair more, that would be dynamite. Um, Acts chapter one, verses one to eight, read this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I just find this very interesting, right? I mean, this is a big moment. Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. He's now like proven himself to all his disciples like they're there. He's he's telling them like the Holy Spirit's gonna come and then the next question that comes out of their mouths is, Lord, is this the time that you're gonna restore Israel? Like, is it now that we're gonna finally not be on the bottom of the food chain? Is it now that you're gonna put us back on the top where we belong? Kind of, is now the time when you're gonna restore this kingdom? Is that what all this has been about? Right? Us being back on top, Israel as a nation, not being pushed around and kicked around. Is it now? That's the question that they ask. I would have never asked that question. (laughs) And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you, and listen to what Jesus does. You will receive the Holy Spirit, or when the Spirit comes, you will receive the Holy Spirit on you. Wow, I totally butchered that. And you will, listen, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Catch that one. Samaria and all the earth. So Jesus' answer to this simple question of, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom and put us back on top? Jesus says, the spirit will come. It will empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where all the stuff happens, right? This is where Israel is centered. The temple's there. All the, the, who, the you know, the who bodies are there. Anybody who's anybody. Those are the who bodies. They're all there. He says, Jerusalem, uh, what's the next one? Judea, which is the surrounding area, and Samaria, which if you don't know, are the sworn enemies of the Israelites, right? They're, They're the hated people. The rabbis would pray, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a Samaritan, or a Gentile. Um, sorry, ladies, uh, that's them. This is now. Um, so the, Jesus says, no, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and all the way to the other ends of the earth. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of this as we talk about missional communities. Missional communities, by definition, are groups of 20 to 50 or two to five life groups who meet monthly for a meal for the purpose of discussing and encouraging mission. And, and I wanna, we're reframing that. We're taking this word that maybe has been used among churches, mission or missionaries, and we wanna reframe that and maybe send it in a new direction. So a group of 20 to 50 people or two to five life groups in an area that will meet monthly for a meal to discuss, encourage, pray for one another and ask the question, how are you living on mission? That's what a missional community is. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. In Acts 1, we see, I think, one of the most important trajectories that is found in the entirety of the scriptures. And I'll say that again. I think one of the most important trajectories that you find in the entire scriptures is found in this text. I think it's also found in other places. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Some of you probably could have predicted that one. Genesis chapter 12, if you know me, you know me, uh, know that this is one of my favorite verses because in it we find a guy named Abram and a woman named Sarai who, are, who can't have children. Um, but we find after, this is after God's created the world. This is after you know, Genesis 3. This is after Noah. This is after the flood. This is after all of this. And then God comes to this guy and he says this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation, before that, God says, go from your country, your people, your land, your father's household to a land I will show you. So there's an invitation given to Abram, and he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And get the last verse here, if you don't get anything. And what? What's your text say? And all the people on the earth will be blessed. So Abram's blessing, Abram's invitation that he's given or that he gets from God is leave your family, your father, your mother, everything that you know, go to this land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. And in, in, in this time and era, this is a big deal, right? Because tribes and clans and nations and all that, this is how you, this is how you survive. God says, leave everything that you deem important and, and, and real and that you know, go to a place I will show you and I will make you into a nation. And I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I'll bless those who bless you and basically prosper you as a person, as a, as a family. You will become this great nation. But, but the why is the real question. And this is the trajectory piece. What's the purpose of Abram's blessing? What's the point? What's the telos? Where's it all going? God says all of the world, all of the people, all of the nations will be blessed because of you. So in Genesis 12, where it begins with the people of God, and now in Acts chapter 1, where we get a reboot of the people of God, there are two themes that are mentioned, or one theme that's mentioned in two places. And so as we think about missional communities and the why of missional communities, like why live on mission? Why is this so important? A couple of thoughts I want to offer you this morning. Number one, there is a telos to our salvation. Telos is a Greek word. It means like trajectory or direction or a point. So if I say, what's the telos of us meeting on Sunday mornings? What's the point of us meeting on Sunday mornings? Where's this going? What's, what's it all for, right? There's a telos to our salvation. There's a telos or a direction, a point to God saying, in Jesus, I offer you this grace. Now, if you're anything like me and you grew up in anything close to an American evangelical setting, I think we have misappropriated the point of the gospel. If the gospel is the good news about Jesus, I want to suggest that maybe we've missed or misappropriated the telos of that story and that message. 
Now, I, I had this on a slide, and it, I forgot to tell them that I wanted it in there, and I just said, okay, my mistake, guys, so we're going to draw this morning. So if you will just stick with me for a second. Apologize for the awkward transition. Uh, okay, so there's a point. There's a telos. Like, this is headed somewhere. Here's the, here's the story I was told growing up, okay? The cross... is a huge, massive circle, and it's for me. Jesus' death on the cross, if you were the only one left on the earth, Jesus would have died for you. He would have. This is true. And I happen to be a part of a church that happens to live in uh, the world. I was going to draw continents, but world. <laughs> I'm like, ah, that's going to be difficult. So here's the story I was told, and I think that many of us can resonate with this, right? The gospel, it's Jesus' death on the cross. It's for you because we're separated from God and we need forgiveness and we need to be rest, restored in relationship with God. And so Jesus dies for you and you get to be a part of the church and we send churches into the world and missionaries into the world. I want to suggest that maybe we have misappropriated some of this. We'll just start over. That that story of the gospel is actually very Western and very modern and very individualistic. And it's actually, I think, if you really get into the story of the scriptures, not the story that's told. Rather, there is a huge, gigantic world that God loves and created and, and still loves and has not abandoned in which he has placed the church, the people of God, for a purpose in, of which I am a part of. So it flips the whole thing on its head, and it makes what's important or what's primary God's mission to the world or for the world in which the church exists of, of which I am a part of. And it turns the whole thing on its head, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't capitulate to individualism, which is actually not, it's antithetical to the gospel. It, it runs against the grain of everything Jesus taught, I and me and my needs being that important. And it turns the whole thing on its head. And the telos of our salvation, the reason why Jesus died for me so that there's a church, or, or of which I'm a part of the church in the world, is so that God's mission of redemption happens in the world. I don't get this. This is one of my questions. Do you guys have questions that you're going to ask God when you get there? Yeah, okay. On the other side, this is one of them. Why? Like, why would you use us? Why, why, why this? Because as far as I can tell, this is it. As far as God's mission of redemption of all of the world that God made, everything that he called good in Genesis 1 and 2, which was, come on now, church, all of it, right? All of it. God's mission is to redeem those things in and through Jesus. And so the telos of salvation for me is not about me, it doesn't start with me, but it begins with the world and it begins with God's mission in the world. So when we talk about missional communities, uh, and I, by the way, I, this, I, I read a book that changed my life. It was called A New Kind of Christian. It was uh, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I would highly recommend it if you're interested. Actually, somebody has that. If anybody's got that book, I was looking for it this morning. If it's you, I'm not gonna ask you to return it now, but if you could get it back to me later, that'd be great. Um, this, this really changed it for me because when we talk about missional communities, it's rooted in a belief that we are saved for something. 
That it's not just heaven after we die, pie in the sky, but actually that God has a mission that salvation is actually wrapped up in something that's bigger than us. And it's called this mission of God to redeem the world in and through this Jesus. And so to be a Christian is to be on mission, period, end, no questions asked. It's that simple in my opinion. To be a follower of Jesus is to be on mission, is to participate in God's hope, dream, plan of redemption, salvation, restoration, reconciliation, whatever word you want to use from whatever text you want to find, that's the point. So there's a telos to this thing. It's, got, it's headed somewhere. This thing's headed somewhere. Two, I would say the gospel equals incarnation. Um, if, you want to, if you want to flip to Philippians chapter two, uh, New Testament, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I used to do that with youth group kids, but it works. Did you get that? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just a little help, a little helper. That's what they teach in seminary. Philippians 2. This is a, this is a earth-shattering and foundational passage for Christians. And it says this, speaking about Jesus, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Verse 5. Now verse 6. Who, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at that name, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is this important? You have to remember when this was written and in an ancient Near Eastern culture where there are all kinds of competing religions and all kinds of competing gods, not a one of them would have considered or was told to be intimately involved in that which God had created and not only to be intimately involved in that which God created, but to actually become a part of the thing that God made. So God becomes in Jesus one of us. John, in, in the message it says that Jesus Christ like, got flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. When I was in high school, uh, I, I went to Chicago and I went on this mission trip to Chicago. We went to Humboldt Park, Chicago. One of the most, like, it was a terrible neighborhood. Very, very hard. And I met this man named Gerald. Gerald was an African-American guy, and he was the youth pastor. And the, the pastor of this church, his name was Andy. He had the most Polish last name I've ever, yeah, like more so, I, I don't even, what was your maiden name? Yeah, it was about that Polish, okay? <laughs> this guy, he was, he was like Polish 100% through. He was as white as white gets. He was the, not because all Polish people are dorks, but this guy was a total dork, all right? Now imagine, imagine if you are a dorky, white, middle-aged man and you want to do ministry in Humboldt Park, Chicago, you know, like get up on my crib, yo. I mean, it is just like gang violence all over the place. It would never work unless you moved into the neighborhood and you actually lived among the people. I went to this church and I watched this guy, Andy whatever his last name was, and Gerald. And these people, like, they were incarnate. They 
were among, they were like living in the space with the people. They were walking, living, uh, schools, all of it. They were like there in the neighborhood. And I saw for the first time what the incarnation means. If God becomes human and lives among us, why is that so important? And I watched these two guys actually reflect and be ambassadors of this Jesus that came and lived among the people and moved into the neighborhood. And, he, and these two guys like served and loved. And to, the, to this day, the last time I went back and visited, I found Gerald. He's still there. Like 20 years later. The reason I want to make this such a big deal and why this is so, so important for missional communities is you are best where you are. And you don't, we don't want to extract people from your neighborhoods and your communities where you live to come to church. That's the antithesis. That's, that's, the, that's backwards for the whole story. Your best where you are, and quite frankly, this is a, maybe a, a, a new, new idea for you. You are the best person to share the gospel with your friends. Not me. Not me. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we'd say, just, I told kids this. I can't believe I said this to them. I'm like, just get them to youth group and I'll do the rest. <laughs> oh, man. That is just terrible. God have mercy on my soul. You are actually the best person to share the gospel with your friends, not me. So being a part of a missional community has you like intentional about where you are and the space you're living in and the networks of relationships that you're a part of. It keeps you there. <laughs> Lastly, I would say, and very quickly, I'd say, you've been invited. The story of the Bible, the story of the Bible all throughout, the story of God, the story of Jesus, all of it, it is always it is rooted in invitation. God invites Abram. God invites Adam and Eve to trust Yahweh in the garden. God invites Abraham to trust Yahweh and leave his family in his new home. God invites Israel to trust him and live in the land that God gave them faithfully to the covenant. And then God invites us to trust this Jesus to live according to and faithful to this new covenant. It is all about invitation. And it's not an invitation to be a spectator. It's not an invitation to say thank you for the grace. But it's actually, it's an invitation to participate. Like the idea that you've been given something in your hands to do. Something to work with. Something to to steward and to actually invest. Think Genesis 1, think, think the parable of the talents. There's an invitation not just to trust Jesus for forgiveness, but an invitation to participate in this. And that, that's an, another one of my questions. Well, it's kind of the same question. Like, why? Why me? I, why me? I'm an, I am terrible. I'm so selfish. I, I choose me over you all the time. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> Why me? But it is true. It's grace. God has invited you to participate. And so, with missional communities, it's about what's in our hands. It's about this invitation that we have been given to participate in the mission of God, the, re the redeeming work of Jesus in the world. So here's what we've written for uh, missional communities. And we want to invite you. If you're a part of a life group, um, your life group will be invited to be a part of a missional community, which is basically two to five life groups in a geographic area. We're, gonna, we're hoping to launch three of these this year. Um, but here's what we've written on the website for missional communities, if you've got that. And maybe not. No? Confirmation or negation, please. Negative, thank you. Here's what we've written on the website for missional communities. A missional community is an extended family of people on mission together. 
seeing the gospel to come to life and incarnated in the areas of life that they find themselves in. It's a, it is about committing to life together on mission. So we want to invite you to consider this idea of being in a smaller group of people, smaller than what Awaken is when we gather everybody together, for the specific explicit purpose to share a meal and ask the question and, and dialogue about how am I living on mission? Now, for some of you, this is a brand new question, and it's, a, it's a, like the sky is the limit, right? Like new horizons, this is exciting or maybe really scary, I don't know. For, many, for some of you, you may be farther along this journey, and, and for you, it's like, I've, I've, I've been wrestling with this question, and what I do for work and my vocation is connected to that, and we want to make space for that. Yes and amen. And we want to celebrate those things and pray for one another to say, go, do that on mission. Whatever it is, plumber, realtor, uh, mom, dad, professor, whatever, any of it. Lawyer, musician, artist, okay, you get the point. Do that on mission. Each missional community, we're also asking, uh, and the missional community leaders are in charge of this, but to find a strategic partner that they're connected to. And so there will be opportunities to serve together with, at, at Garlow, hopefully, and, and other places uh, that we are exploring. So this is what missional communities are about. This is what we're inviting you to participate in. Um, like I said, life groups, sign up online if you would, please, if you're interested in that. And if there are questions about any of this, we can't do it all on one Sunday or two Sundays or three. So if you have questions, email them to me uh, or Toff, and we'll, we'll try to discuss them when we, when we uh, wrap this series up next week. Does that sound good? All right, I'm going to ask Ben to come, and uh, we're going to sing one song as we close. But if you would, um, maybe just join me in a word of prayer. God, this is, uh, for me, for Toff, for many others who have discussed this, this is really, really exciting. Uh, This is the work of the last year. And pressing into this question of how can we release this community on mission in the world, for the sake of redemption. Where as the church, as ambassadors who have been given this ministry of reconciliation, according to Paul, where we, with arms wide open and hands wide open, we offer the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus to a world that needs it. God, would you give us courage to step out in faith in places where Maybe we have felt you or sensed you moving and have um, maybe not dared to go. I pray that the missional community would become a place where we're encouraged and where we're, uh, you can do this, you can do this. You were made for this. The Holy Spirit is with you. You can do this. I pray that those things would happen in the missional communities at Awaken. And God, whatever happens, whatever the the outcomes are, whatever the places that um, your kingdom finds its people who come to awaken. I pray that by your spirit, you would empower us to love like we see on Calvary. And we know in 1 John that love is this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God, may we be lovers and may we trust that you are at work, that your spirit convicts, that you are the one who drives this thing. God, may we respond to your invitation and trust that you are good and that you love us and that you are, in fact, making all things new. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity.
Or a bit of, but we think community. See you next time.